Turn with your Bible, turn in your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 3, please. Exodus chapter 3. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and one of our ushers in the back will uh, be delighted to give you one. Exodus chapter 3 and 4. And we're going to read the entire two chapters this morning. This is going to be a long scripture reading. But if we can't read long scripture readings in worship services, where can we, right? This is the place to read the Word of God. I was going to read a portion of it, and then the more I looked at it, the more I realized we just got to read the whole thing. So follow along in your Bible. I think it will help you uh, to, to stick with me as we read. If you don't, uh, if, if, if you listen better just through listening and not reading, that's fine as well. Follow along. Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, but yet it was not consumed. Yet Moses said, I want to turn aside and look at this thing. When the Lord saw that he turned to look, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off, your, off of your feet, for the place on which you stand is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up to the land, to a good and broad land. A land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 9, And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring the people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they will ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you 
and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites, and the land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you, the elders of Israel, shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go on a three days journey into the wilderness so that we might sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, I will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold and jewelry and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. He said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and behold, it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it, but the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand, and he caught it. And it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside of your cloak. So he put his hand inside of his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was leprous like snow. Then God said, put it back inside. So he put it back inside, and he pulled it out, and it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, then they may believe the second. If they will not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground, and the water that you take will become blood. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past since I've, uh, or, or since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow to speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put words in in his mouth, and I will be your mouth. And with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take your hand, this staff, with which you will do the signs. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please, let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons 
and he had them ride on a donkey. And they went back to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. And so the Lord let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness and meet Moses. So he went, and he met him at the mountain of God, and he kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak, and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and, and, and gathered together all of the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all of the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that He had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshipped. Father, we ask that we might have the same reaction this morning as we are presented with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. As you present yourself to us as you are, we ask that we would see that we are inadequate, that you are adequate, and that we would bow and worship you. It is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Let me just start by saying that on Thursday night, as, as I was out there uh, seeing a young man laying on the sidewalk, praying with uh, family members of his, uh, friends of his, friends of mine that are, are weeping, watching another body being put into a wagon. I'll be honest, there was a sense of hopelessness. Uh, a sense of deep discouragement. A sense of inadequacy. A sense of loss. A sense of being beaten. Words fail. How long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? You know, seven years ago, I moved into Baltimore City as an eager, idealistic 28-year-old. And I came here with the idea that I could be part of helping to change the city. Seven years later, not much has changed. I'm just being honest. You know, maybe the vision of changing the city is, was, 
and always will be too small of a vision. We're not in the business of cultural transformation. We are in the business of rescuing souls from the kingdom of darkness. Saving souls. Men and women trapped in slavery to sin. Being a beacon of hope. A beacon of light. And I'll be honest, as we consider the city around us this morning, the idea of us being a display of God's glory through making disciples of Jesus Christ in Baltimore, honestly, it seems overwhelming. It seems impossible. It seems sometimes as if we're just talking rhetoric week after week. Is God able? Are we able? Well, I, like I said earlier, God, I, I believe in His uh, kindness to us, has brought us to Exodus chapters 3 and 4 this morning. This speaks to us in our situation today. Now, Last week, if you were here last week, if you weren't, you'll you'll get a quick recap here. Last week, we we left off with Israel, God's people, crying in the wilderness or in, in Egypt because of the slavery, and Moses out here in the country, raising a family, a fugitive, running from Egypt. A bounty on his head. That's where we left off. There are people trapped in Baltimore City who are in slavery. And friends, listen, we are called to lead them out. We are called to be the beacon, to be the voice, to be the people that that, that is salt and light that shows, that, that, that speaks so that people might see, so that they might be freed from their shackles to sin and to death. There are a people trapped in Egypt, and Moses here is called to lead them out. Now, they have been there for 430 years. They have been in bondage for generations. All they have in this moment is the promise of God. But God to them seems far up there. He's not down here. God to them seems distant. God has not spoken in 430 years. Frederick Douglass last week, I mentioned this, he said that we need more than light. We need fire. If we're talking about delivery from slavery, we need more than light. We need fire. Well, today God speaks, and it's fire. In verses 6 and 7, God speaks. He says, I have seen. 
I have heard. Remember how the story ended last week where, where they're crying and God, it says God saw, God heard. Well, God now speaks. Finally, after years and years and years of silence, God speaks to a human and He says what? He says, I've seen it. I've seen what you got. I, I, I have never looked away from it. I've seen the pain. I've seen the tears. I've seen the sorrow. And I've heard your cry. Your cry in the midst of slavery has reached my ears because of your oppression. And in verse 10, God looks at Moses and He says, Moses, I'm sending you. Now, if you've ever read a book on leadership, you, you know uh, something along these lines, uh, something to the effect of, if somebody asks you to do something and you don't know how to do it, don't tell them you don't know how to do it. Just figure out how to do it and do it, right? Well, Moses never got that memo. God says, you're going to be the man, and Moses says, nah. That's my interpretation. Are you kidding me? Uh, wrap your minds around this. Moses, all right, a traitor in some ways. Grew up in the house of Egypt. It was never really part of his, his own people. Um, kicked out, running away because of a murder. And God says, oh, by the way, you're the fool that I'm calling to lead them out of slavery. Why is it that uh, Israel has yet to leave Egypt? It's not because they haven't been able to get themselves together. It's not because they haven't been able to organize. It's not because they don't have a, a willpower or, or a fight. It's not because they need to get somebody in the White House. Why is it that Israel has yet to leave slavery? It's because it is impossible to leave slavery. This, this, this group, I mean, sure, they're growing, they're multiplying, but still small, weak. They have nothing but the mud in their hands against the Egyptian empire. It's impossible. And so Moses comes to this joker out in the wilderness, and he says, you are the dude that's going to lead them out. Well, Moses makes excuses all throughout these chapters. I'm going to summarize them. Insignificant. Clueless. Inadequate. Unable. Unprepared. In verse 11, he says, who am I? I'm insignificant. I'm just this guy out here. Running. Raising a family. Who am I? Who are we, Garden Church? We are insignificant. Who are you? to make a dent in the kingdom of darkness in this city. Who are we to believe that? Verse 13, I'm clueless. Who am I going to say sent me? Who are you? What if I don't know enough? What if I'm stumped? In chapter 4, verse 1, we see inadequacy. He says, they're not going to believe me. They're going to laugh at me when I come and I'm like, hey, by the way, your God, uh, the God, or our God, I guess, uh, He's told me that we're going to do this thing, we're going to get out of here. They're not going to believe me. Unable. 
I don't know if Moses had a speech impediment. We don't know. But he had something wrong with his speech. He said, I can't speak. I'm not a, I'm not a public communicator. You've got the wrong... You, go f- please. This is where God gets angry in the story. Please, go find somebody else. God is like, fine. I'll find somebody to speak for you. Unable. Unprepared. There's this sort of funny, dramatic part in the story in chapter 4, verses 24 through 26, where Moses finally is on his way to Egypt. I don't know if you caught that in the reading. And God says, you know, I'm going to go kill this joker. <laughs> and he's, he's dying all of a sudden. I don't know what it, maybe he's having a stroke or I, who knows. He's dying all of a sudden. And uh, the reason, his wife knows this because she does the right thing immediately. His son has yet to be circumcised. And you're like, some of you are new to Christianity. You're like, what? <laughs> yeah, big deal. It's a sign of the covenant. All right. Excuse the imagery, but if you don't cut it off, he will cut you off. That is the imagery. And so he has refused to place the sign of the covenant on his son. There's a piece of Egyptian still in him. He doesn't yet want to identify with the people of God. So while they are on the way, God tries to kill him. She does the right thing. She knows exactly what she needs to do. Imagine, fellas, when you were a child, if your mom was coming at you with a flint knife saying, drop him. We've got to get this done. That's, that's the word of the Lord. Unprepared. He's not all there. My first point, or the first point of the story, I should say, is, is that Moses is, is inadequate. Left to himself, it is impossible to lead the people out of slavery. But the second and the main point of this story is that God never said Moses was adequate. The main point of this story is that God is adequate. God is able. Exodus is a story of man's inadequacies and God's adequacies. We, as a, as a people here today in 2015, living in Baltimore City, we are to show and display the goodness and the glory of God to the world around us through making disciples of Jesus Christ. And we are utterly inadequate for the job. Because man is weak. Because we as a people are fearful and inadequate. Salvation is completely dependent upon a self-dependent God. We, friends, can't deliver ourselves from the slavery of sin and death, and we can't deliver anyone else from the slavery of sin and death. It is absolutely impossible for us to pick ourselves up and to do it. We need a self-sufficient God this morning. Now, this is something I want us to do this week. When you hang out with somebody from the church, I want you to share your inadequacies with each other. This is why I'm unable. This is why I'm clueless. This is why I'm inadequate. But then I don't want you to stop there. I want you to help one another combat 
the excuses through sharing God's abilities. Where am I unable? Well, tell me where God is able. Let me show you what I mean by that. This is what God does with Moses here. There are four aspects of God's character that are revealed in this story. Number one, God is a self-dependent deliverer. Number two, God is the self-authenticating deliverer. Number three, God is the self-confident deliverer. And number four, God is the self-sufficient deliverer. There in verse 2, we see first that God is the self-dependent deliverer. We see that Moses comes to this bush that is, that is burning. There's a fire. And it says that the angel of the Lord is, is in the bush. Now, we know that that is the Lord God Himself because as the bush speaks, it's God. The angel of the Lord. This is what's called a theophany. An appearance of, of, of God. I believe it's a Christ, Christophany. An appearance of God's Son, Jesus Christ, prior to His virgin birth. Now notice in the story right there that the bush is not being consumed by the fire. I mean, this is a big deal in the story. Moses is like, I'm going to turn aside and see this great sight. What's going on here? There's a fire. It's a real fire. I feel the heat of it. But the leaf hasn't been burned. Now, I don't know if you are familiar with the science of fire, and Paul Rotman could probably do a better job explaining this than I am. But what I do know is that fire is dependent on materials or a gas. Meaning, if you don't have some kind of material to burn, you're not going to have fire. Am I right, Professor? So far, so good? Look, this fire in the bush is a self-dependent fire. This is a fire that doesn't need the bush to exist. The bush is experiencing the fire, but the bush is not contributing to the fire. This is a self-dependent fire. Now this fire in the bush, it frames everything that God is about to explain and everything that God is about to do through Moses. The fire of, of God's power and presence will be upon the messenger, but the fire will not be dependent on the messenger. The messenger will be consumed by the flames and moved by the flames. Completely dependent on the flames. The transcendent, uh, uh, holy God has condescended to humanity upon a bush. The ground is holy. Take off your sandals. Take your shoes off. Don't come too near Moses. Don't look, Moses. God is holy. This, this makes one tremble to be in the presence of this God, this God of all vitality that has come to humanity. 
Moses will contribute nothing of his own strength and power to what God is going to do for Moses and for his people. God's indwelling, transforming presence will rest upon Moses. And from that place of utter dependence on the self-dependent God, God will lead the people out of Israel, check this out, through Moses. We are wired as humanity to be dependent on something. Look around society. Society depends on ecstasy and immorality of various kinds to experience intimacy. Society depends on alcohol to experience happiness. Society depends on success to experience identity. We are wired as human beings to be dependent on something. Sin is what happens when we exchange God dependency for dependency on anything else. In what way will we find freedom? In, in what way have you found freedom in your own life? Like when you consider your own conversion, when, that, when the chains fell off as we sang this morning, and your heart was free, what did you do to contribute to that? Like this moment where you just realize, like, uh, God has saved me. Looking back, what did you do to contribute to that? You know, friends, I listen to people's uh, testimonies all of the time. It's one thing I get to do as a pastor is, is when somebody's joining the church, I get to hear how they became a Christian. And every single time I hear it, you know what? The story, the story is something like, and then I just believed. All of a sudden, like my, my eyes were just open. I saw it. Like something just happened to me. A flame, a fire just descended upon me and transformed me and I contributed nothing to this. Guys, if Christ rescued you in that way out of slavery, will He not rescue others? If the fire of God doesn't show up, the bush is just a bush. In our own ministry, if the fire of God does not show up, we're just a group of people hanging out. In our services together, you know, we keep things pretty simple. We don't have any crazy things going on to, to, to make us feel like we're having any experience that we're not having. I'm telling you, if God's fire doesn't show up, it's, we're going to be as boring as a bush. Dependent on a self-dependent God. Now, in what ways are, are, are you uh, God-dependent? In what ways are you self-dependent? In what ways are you independent of God? In what ways are you believing that God is codependent on you to do something? In what ways do you believe that God is dependent on you? The God that we see here is He shows Himself to Moses as a God that is self-dependent. A God that does. We're going on. Secondly, we see that 
God is the self-authenticating deliverer. In verse 13, look at it with me. Moses said to God, if I, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, they're going to say, what is His name? What should I say to them? Who is this God of slaves? Who is this God who has allowed these people for 430 years to live in Egypt? Who is this God that dares to confront the Egyptian empire? And here Moses comes, he's like, uh, yeah, our God, the, the, the God of your fathers, our fathers, yeah, He sent me and He's going to use me to bring us out of slavery. And so Moses is coming to God and he's saying, so what is your name? What name am I going with? Now, I don't believe that Moses here is just simply asking God, what's your name? Like, is Zeus, Ra, John? Like, I just want to make sure I get your, your name right when I talk about you, you know? No, name is synonymous with fame. Moses is asking God, uh, what have you done? With what am I going? I mean, when, when, I, when I walk in, in, in and, and, and explain this to the people on what grounds am I going with? What kind of fame and what kind of recognition do you have? And so God there in verses 14 and 15 says, I am who I am. This is what you're going to tell the people. Tell them I am sent you. And this is the name by which you will forever know me. This is my eternal name. I am. What does that mean? It means that first God is self-existent. But in addition to that, it means that God is self-authenticated. Here's what I mean by that. When I was growing up, my brother had a football card signed by Joe Montana. Joe Cool. The problem was, we never knew if it was Joe Montana's signature. Somebody signed the card. All right? We framed it. We wanted to believe that it was Joe Montana's signature, and we told everybody it was. But we never knew. Now, if you've ever bought or seen in a sports memorabilia shop a, a, a signature by some famous athlete, it comes with a certificate of authenticity. Our problem was we didn't have a certificate of authenticity. And which, by the way, have you ever wondered, like, how do we know the certificate of authenticity is authentic? Right? This is kind of what Moses, I believe, is asking God when he says, what is your name? What is, what is the certificate of authenticity that I'm going with? When I go and I, and I explain that you're going to do this for us, with what authentication, uh, uh, with what authenticity, certificate, what am I saying here, of authenticity <laughs> am I going with? And God's answer is, is, I am the certificate of authenticity. I am all that you need. Uh, what, what does he mean by this? Well, we see it right there in the text. In verses 11 and 12, as Moses has a fear of man, who am I? And God says, oh, I will be with you the entire time. God says this, let me, let me tell you the sign that I'm going to give you. When you come back to this mountain with all of Israel in tow, and you serve me outside of Egypt on this mountain, that'll be the sign. Meaning, the actions that I will perform will be my certificate of authenticity. I am all you need. 
We don't ask God to prove himself before we trust him. We trust the Lord and he proves himself. The irony, if you're not a Christian, is this. The irony is, is, is at some point we believe and we take that leap of faith and it's not until we, we believe that we know that we believe. Does that make any sense to you? The Spirit testifies to my spirit that I am a child of God. I believe. I know it. I've seen it. John Newton put it this way. I was once blind, but now I see. How has God proven Himself in your own life? In what ways has God shown, shown you? What actions has He done to authenticate His existence and His reality? You were once blinded by sin. But God showed you love and He showed you what it means to love and He changed the way you think about love. He captured your identity and you no longer find your identity in what you do or, 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 or who you are or your background or your singleness or your spouse or, or your history or your abilities. You find your identity in Christ. How do you know? What has He done? The Spirit testifies to my spirit that I am a child of God. He's done something in my life. I was once lost, but now I'm found. His actions that He will do among the people, bringing them out, will be all they need to prove that He is the great I Am. Going on, number three, God is also here the self-confident deliverer. We see this in verses 16 through 22. God just goes on and he speaks to Moses as Moses is trembling, thinking about, oh my goodness, I have to go to Pharaoh with all of this. And so God is just delivering this message to, to, to Moses and he essentially says, son, I'm not relying on you. You think I'm relying on you? No, 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 I'm not relying on you. There are two themes here in these verses. Plagues and plundering. God says, I know Moses' heart, or Pharaoh's heart. I know that He won't let you go and I'm going to send plagues. And before you leave, you're not going to leave naked slaves. The Egyptians are going to give you stuff and you, they are willingly going to allow you to plunder them and you're going to walk out of this place in style. God says, I am confident, not in you, I am confident in what I can do through you. What aspects of the mission that we are called to scares you? What aspects of living the Christ life in our city and in our world scares you? Where do you see inadequacies in yourself? Do you trust this, this self-confident, self-authenticating, and self-existent uh, and self-dependent fire? This God who says, I never said I was relying on you. I'm relying on what I can do through you. Lastly, we see here that God is the self-sufficient deliverer. Moses' second to last excuse. He says, Israel, they won't listen to me. They won't listen. I can't speak. I've got nothing to show. God says, What's, what are you holding in your hand? A staff. Throw it on the ground. Turns into a snake. All right, he runs. 
just like my wife would. And then God says, pick it up. Pick it up by the tail. He trusts the Lord. He picks it up. Turns back into a staff. God says, stick your hand in your cloak. Pull it out. Leprous. It's white. Stick it back in. Pull it out. It's flesh. If they don't believe that I sent you, do these signs. Okay, and if they still don't believe those, take some water from the Nile and throw it on the ground and it'll, 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 it'll become blood. Look, I'm going to provide. I'm going to do all that, that, that's necessary to open their eyes. I can't speak, Moses says. That's his last excuse. That's all he's got left. At this point, God gets angry. He's like, fine. Your, your, your brother Aaron, that dude can speak. You tell him what to say, and he'll say it for you. And by the way, he's already on his way. He's coming to meet you. God is self-sufficient. We make excuses. God makes provisions. Family, don't you see that every single time Moses had an excuse, every single thing that Moses could throw is the reason that that he's not able to to be on this mission that God is, is sending him on, he finds God's provision. The, 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 this entire time, Moses believes that his qualification comes from inside of him. And God's saying, no, the qualification to lead comes from outside of you. It comes from the fire that rests upon you. The fire that is not dependent on you. Moses is unable. But God is able. God has a people in this very city for whom Christ died. And they are locked in this, in, in this world in, in chains and bondage to slavery. And they're, they, they're in the chains puffed up by their own pride, their own intellect, uh, intoxicated by who they are. They are depressed and downtrodden. As evil has reared their head against them, they have turned their backs on the Lord. What has God ever done for me? They are enslaved. The self-dependent God came into the world and spoke to us through the God-man, His Son, Jesus Christ. And when He died on the cross, the fire of redemption in no way depended on you. It was completely His work for you. The self-authenticating Deliverer rose from the dead to prove that He is who He says he is. And all who trust in Him have the hope that one day they will be risen from the dead as well. The self-confident deliverer said, look, I don't have confidence in you. I have confidence in the message that I've given you. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. And it's been given to you. Now go! into all of the world and preach the Gospel to every man, woman, and child. And as you do, watch as I deliver them. The self-sufficient Deliverer has called us. And He has essentially said, I will do all of the hard work. I will do all of the heavy lifting. You live as salt and light. 
Live in ways that commend the Gospel. Speak these words and watch as I deliver. Me? You're calling me to be on this mission. Us? You? He's calling us? Who are we? Friends, that uh, word of encouragement in verse 11 rings true today. God says to Moses, I am with you. It's me. Well, as the story closes, Moses finally gets to Egypt, and uh, is he rejected as he thought he might be? Of course not. In verse 31, it says, the people believed. You know, it's the first time anybody has believed in this story. The people react in the way that Moses should have reacted. They hear the word of the Lord. They hear of the self-sufficient God, and they believe. And look what it leads them to do in verse 31 there. They believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that He had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshipped Him. As we are called to this mission, as we have been given the Word of God, as we have been confronted with this God who saves and is so gracious to us that He will move through us, that He will use us in His redemptive purposes in this world. What is our response right now when we hear this? When we are confronted with this God, our response is worship. Right now, we, just, we bow our heads and we worship Him. We fall on our knees before Him and we look we say, wow. God is this good. You are unable. God never said you were able. God said, I am able. You don't have confidence in yourself. God said, I don't have confidence in you either. I've got confidence in who I am and what I'm doing in your life and what I'm going to do through you. You say you're inadequate. God said, I've never, never said I was depending on you. I'm depending on what I'm going to do through you. This is our God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Self-dependent. Self-existent. Self-authenticated. Self-reliant. Self-confident. Self-sufficient. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for showing us who You are, for sending us Jesus Christ. God, I pray for anyone here whose eyes this morning have been opened to the goodness of Christ and to the salvation and deliverance from the slavery of sin and guilt and death that they have through Jesus Christ, I pray that You will grant them faith this morning that they may believe. We pray that we will not rely in our own strength, intellect, ideas, persuasion, but that we will rely on this fire 
that has come to rest upon us, that is not dependent on us. God, that you would use us in this world and in this city. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.